Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Today, the Christmas Carol will look at, we've been looking at Christmas carols. Uh, Daniel started us off in this series. But today we look at Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. I was probably in my mid-twenties when I realized the angels were not singing Hark the Herald. Because I didn't understand what that meant. And I think today, even when I hear the song and sing the song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, I feel like the angels are singing Hark the Herald. Some of you believe that, and you don't even understand what I'm saying right now. That, that would be my guess, is that you think that the angels are up there singing Hark the Herald. Well, they're not singing Hark the Herald. And I'll be honest with you, I was probably a little bit past my 20s when I realized that, because I still kind of sing it in that same way. But, uh, but here's, I want to rephrase that a bit so that we understand. This is an announcement of the birth of Christ, the very first earthly announcement of the birth of Christ, and it comes to the shepherds. But here is how the, the, the Christmas carol goes, or the hymn goes. It's saying, hark, listen up. When was the last time you used hark in a sentence? That's my challenge for you this week. We like to give next steps. Next step, use the word hark in a sentence and see how that goes for you. And then herald, herald means messenger, uh, very simply messenger. So hark, the herald angels sing. Uh, herald is describing the angels. In fact, if you look at the doctrine of angels, uh, we don't know a whole lot about angels, but we know that they are messengers of God as one of their primary roles. And so here's how I want to word it. Listen, the angelic messengers are singing. And so the shepherds are in the field, and what this song is representing is listen up. Listen up. The angels have gathered they have a message, and it's from the Lord, and they're singing it right now, and we find it in Luke chapter 2. This will all be about today is the birth announcement of Christ, and we call this the incarnation when God became flesh in Luke chapter 2. God became flesh, the, uh, also referred to as the God-man. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and we want to kind of unpack that today, actually over the next two weeks. Uh, this week, we're going to focus, it's, it's going to blend a little bit because it just has to, but we're going to focus in on the humanity uh, of Christ. And then next week, we'll look at the deity of Christ. And both of those are, are complete. They're not half and half, it's just complete. Fully man, fully God. We hear Daniel speak on the depravity of man and things like that. And then what we have to understand is that Jesus humbled himself into that position of man. And so the full humanity of God. And this is something we have to wrestle with. We wrestle with our triune God, the Trinity. We wrestle with the incarnation of how God could become flesh. And what I want to do today is kind of orient our brains a little bit that when we think of Jesus, we think of God. 
I'm making a, an assumption today, and the assumption is based on my, my own uh, actions, is that when I think of Jesus, I tend to think man first, then God. And we can't order it other than God put it in order that he was God first, then man. And so for that reason, not to put one over the other, but for that reason, I, I want to try and make us always think of Jesus as God. Nothing less. Nothing less. Uh, the old movies that came out years ago, Sweet Baby Jesus. Uh, throw that thinking away. Uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ uh, absolutely 100%, but it's really the arrival of Christ, because Jesus always was. He is, and he always will be. Uh, a little background on the hymn. Uh, there's some good background on this hymn, uh, Heart to Herald Angels Sing. Number one, it's, uh, it's from uh, Charles Wesley. He wrote, wrote the words to it, wrote the original thing. Charles Wesley is a leader in uh, Methodism, in the, the Methodist church. And then his older brother is John Wesley, who you'll probably hear a lot about. And he's the founder of Methodism, great scholar, great theologian. Uh, Charles Wesley, also a theologian with him. Uh, he was prolific and wrote over 6,500 hymns. 6,500 hymns. Let that sink in for a bit. But, uh, but I mean, he was, he was just very much constantly writing uh, the hymns and many that we still sing uh, today. But there's an interesting thing about him. He did not like his hymns to be changed. He, he wanted them to stay the same. And what's comical about that is I have a quote for him and if, if you, from him. And if, if you know me, I, I tend to lean on sarcasm, which is also maybe will be my eventual downfall in life. Because what I think is funny, some people don't. My wife is one who does not. And, uh, but but I, I read this quote and I was like, this guy is one of me. He's sarcastic. I like it. But so listen to what he says. It's actually from both the brothers, John and Charles. It, it, it's awesome. He says, many gentlemen have done my brother and me, though without naming us, the honor to reprint many of our hymns. Now they are perfectly welcome to do so, provided they print them just as they are. Now, some of you come from old school Baptist, and you just said amen. Okay? Well, I hate to tell you, it, 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 we don't even sing the hymns like Charles Wesley wanted. He goes, now, they are perfectly welcome to do so, provided they print them just as they are, but I desire that they would not attempt to mend them, for they really are not able. Sarcasm's kind of creeping in here. I like it. He goes, but I desire that they would not attempt to mend them, but they really are not able. None of them is able to mend either the sense or the verse. Therefore, I must beg them one of these two favors. Either let them stand just as they are, or add their true reading in the margin or at the bottom of the page. And here's where it gets good. That we may no longer be accountable either for the nonsense or for the doggerel of other men. <laughs> and so he, he was not a fan of his, of his hymns being changed up. Now, here's the irony. His good friend, George Whitfield, also a founder in Methodism, he altered it, and that's how we sing it today. 
And so apparently they got along enough for him to do it. If you read in your, uh, in your hymnal today, if you can find a hymnal or look up a hymnal, when you look up uh, uh, Hark the Herald Angel Sing, it'll say written by Charles Wesley and then altered by George Whitfield. And I guess that would be an honor, though we see that in a lot uh, of our hymns. But the hymn we're looking at here is Hark the Herald Angel Sing, Listen, Angelic Messengers Are Singing. Glory to the newborn king. So let's unpack Luke chapter 2 and how it relates to this uh, Christmas carol. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we pray that, that your spirit would, would illuminate this passage to us. Father, we pray for your understanding. We pray, uh, Father, just for uh, enlightenment, not, not new, not, not witty, but, Father, just what you mean for your scriptures. And, Father, I pray that at the end of this, Lord, we could, we, we could know you fuller and that, Father, we could know who you are better and more complete. Father, we want to handle your word with delicacy and with accuracy. And, Father, we want to know you how you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I stress that, that we want to know him uh, as he is. Because that's, that's a lot of what I want to accomplish today in the next 20 minutes, is just how do we view Jesus Christ? And I want to look at this humanity side, but then always pushing us to the deity of Christ. Pushing us to the deity of Christ. Uh, listen up. God's messengers are singing. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to read from the New King James Version uh, just because it's a little bit more nostalgic for me when it comes to Christmas time. Uh, we typically read here in the New Living Translation, and, and the rest of my scriptures will be from that. But, uh, but just as I read this, I needed a little bit of the old language in there. Is that fair? You didn't answer. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was going to change my notes here. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14, it said, There were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. By night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. I want to pause there and talk about the shepherds because there is actually uh, tons of information and studies. Uh, on the shepherds. And one thing, uh, I mean, absolutely, we just need to know the scriptures tell us that there were shepherds in the field, and that's all we need to know. When we think of shepherds, it's pretty common uh, folk. But, but let me tell you a little bit about the shepherds around Bethlehem. They were only about a mile or so outside of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and so they were able to travel pretty quickly and then come back. But in Bethlehem, in the surrounding areas, many of the sheep that would be being watched by the shepherds were, were the very sheep that would be sacrificed to atone for sins in Old Testament times. And so it's, you have not only the imagery of Jesus appearing to shepherds, but before the very sheep that would likely be slaughtered as lambs, and Jesus is the lamb of God. And another interesting point, there's, there's pretty good evidence, it's not solid, but there's pretty good evidence that pointing to those shepherds could have even been priests from the Levi tribe, because they would, they would watch the sheep for that purpose of the temple. Now, we don't really know all that, although it's pretty fascinating, and I can, I can go that route pretty quick, but it was the sheep and it was shepherds. And it was more than just 
a couple guys and, and just, you know, the, the common folk out in the field, although that's important, okay? Don't let that go away. But the imagery and the foreshadowing of Jesus becoming the sacrificial lamb is all right there in his very first birth announcement. And so he comes to these shepherds, and these shepherds would understand the implications of the Lamb of God more than any other. And so they become the first heralds uh, beyond the angels for the gospel of Jesus and what is to come. And so it's this foreshadowing that will happen. And then it says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you great tidings of, or good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, in, in Bethlehem, uh, Daniel talked about Bethlehem last week. It's just, you know, we, we have these very common and, and, and simple places. It's not the royalty that you would expect for God to announce his arrival. But it says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And this is what Charles Wesley is writing about. He's saying, listen up. The messenger angels are singing. They're singing this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. So you have all this. You have the setting, a lot of symbolism and foreshadowing in the setting. But the setting still remains common. Let me ask you, have you ever been announced at a party? Have you had the pleasure of being at a party that was so formal or so glamorous that you were announced? Any royalty kind of hanging under the balance right here, you know, that maybe, maybe you just snuck in here and, uh, and all that. But uh, I've actually been announced. I, it was not at a party. It was not, I was officially announced at Chick-fil-A <laughs> in Tomball. It was... Uh, it was humiliating, number one. <laughs> Hang on to that word. But uh, I, I, we had just done a soccer game with my family, with my kids, and we were grabbing some Chick-fil-A for lunch, and I walked into the doors of Chick-fil-A, and in the back, I heard someone start shouting. And, you know, my first instinct is, let's get out of here, you know. But then I realized they're just it, uh, announcing. I literally hear from the back, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome the Reverend Milton John Eichler III. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, what just happened? You know? And I look in the back, and one of our kids' workers that used to be here, he moved. I made him move. But uh, he, he moved. And, uh, and he was, Kaylee, he was just back there smiling, grinned. Uh, you, know, you, know, you could see all his teeth just laughing. And I'm thinking... Do I keep walking in or do I just save face and leave, you know? But, but that's, it, it, it reminded me of this because kind of the announcement that was made was just in a common place. You know, it wasn't this massive royalty announcement that should happen for God. Understand, this is the incarnation, God becoming flesh, and yet it is a humble announcement. And that's where I want to stick to. Often, this is actually called the humiliation of Christ, the incarnation. Humiliation not being embarrassment like, like I experienced in there, but, but Christ becoming man is 
humble, and he humbled himself before us. Uh, Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I want to shift now, and I'm going to do my best to quit saying birth announcement. Here's the reason why. I want to shift to an arrival announcement. This is like a royal entry. The reason is because although we will celebrate the birth of Christ, this announcement was not announcing necessarily his birth, but it was an announcement of his arrival. And that has major implications on how you view what actually just happened. Because Jesus, again, is God. He, he wasn't created at this moment. He wasn't necessarily born at this moment. This is simply, well, simply is the wrong word, but his birth, but he was, he is, and he always will be. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus is not coming onto the global scene for the first time except for here on earth. Uh, Jesus is. Uh, there's a moment where Jesus referenced that he saw Abraham. And he was in the crowd of people, and they challenged him. And you find this in John chapter 8. It says, the people said to Jesus, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, and you've probably quoted this before, before Abraham was even born, I am. And what do you think the people did? Did they bow down and worship him? No, they knelt down and picked up a stone to throw at him. Scripture says at that point they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. You see, Jesus' birth is God becoming flesh. Jesus is not created. Jesus is the triune God, part of the Trinity. And what the takeaway I want us to grab today is that when you think of Jesus, I want you to think of him as nothing less than God. When you say the name of Jesus in your family, when you celebrate the birth of Jesus, I want you to think of nothing less than that Jesus is God and that he did this for us. He always was, he is, and he always will be. He is the great uh, I am. And so I want to look at this doctrine of the incarnation and ask, how do we approach, how do we approach to even try to understand that Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. I have a simple tweak I want you to do in your brain. I think most commonly we start with the humanity of Christ and we try and figure out the deity of Christ. And so we start with Jesus as a man because that's what we know, that's what we understand, that's what we kinda, you know, just who we are. And so we start with Jesus being a man, and then we try and figure out and, and wrestle and, and kind of come to some sort of conclusion in our head how he can also be fully God. But in a very simple twist, I want to ask you to do this. Rather than thinking humanity first, although both are equal, fully God, fully man, I want you to think the opposite direction. I want you to think of Jesus as God. 
Because you should never think of anything of Jesus that would make him less. Does that make sense? He was fully man, don't get me wrong. But in, in my language, I'll, I'll accuse myself, in my language, when I think of Jesus as a man, I have this tendency to lessen who he is. But the reality is, Jesus is God. And so start with Jesus is God, and then stay bewildered about the fact that he became man. Because we understand and we know that Jesus is God. There's nothing more important than that. John 1.14 says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of the unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so I want to talk about uh, humility and, and how he humbled himself just briefly as we go. So how did Jesus humble himself? And what I want to draw a contrast of is that I don't want us to ever say that he lessened himself. Because although it, it can be considered semantics, it's a bad one. Because Jesus never made himself less. He humbled himself. He took the form of a man, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Uh, he limited his presence to one place at one time. In fact, you see that one where he humbled himself. He's still fully God. But what happened when they tried to stone him? He vanished. He was gone. He's fully God. By taking a position which the Father was greater. That's another thing he did to humble himself. John 14, 28. He took the position which the Father was greater than him. Understand, in the triune God, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all have equality with each other. There is not one less, not one greater. They have different functions and different roles, but the equality is there. Yet while Jesus was on earth, he took the position of the Father being greater. And then Matthew 24, 36, it says he limited uh, his understanding when you read about that. And so it, it's the mystery of it all, but you have to understand that Jesus humbled himself. He did not lessen himself. And so here's some ways he didn't lessen himself. He was still fully God even as he walked the earth. You have to believe that. You must believe that. To understand the doctrine of Jesus Christ, you have to understand that he was fully God as he walked this earth. What he said was said as of God. What he commands us to do is God. Not a representative of God. God. The decision to be born a man, to walk this earth, and to die on the cross was made by him as part of the Trinity. Also very important. The decision to be born a man and to walk this earth and die on the cross was made by him as a part of the Trinity. And then even while on earth, he limited himself by choice. He limited himself by choice. In Luke 4, 3, we see that Jesus could have turned the stones to bread when Satan was tempting him. In Matthew 26, we see that he could have called 10,000 angels to save him from the cross, but he chose not to. He limited himself, yet he did not lessen himself. I'll say it again, it's so important. He limited himself, he did not lessen himself. I want to take a look at this idea next week and, and kind of figure out how, how did he limit himself? You know, was it really by choice? And so there, scholars have different views on that, and then it, it, it opens up a, uh, 
a way of thinking about our Lord and expand. We won't come to a conclusion, but we will expand our understanding of Jesus Christ, who is fully God, the deity of Christ. Now, to close this out, why do we want to do this? Why is it so important? Well, we spend so much time asking Jesus what he can do for us. Think about it. Our prayers are focused on Jesus. You know, will you do this? Jesus, should I do that? Will I do this? The, today's message is about focusing on the who of Jesus is. Who is Jesus in your life? Who are we praying to? I think if, if I would be more silent in prayer and just ask Jesus to reveal himself to me, I would be way better off. I, I think I spend too much time talking and asking. And maybe even too much time proclaiming. I just need to listen. God, reveal to me who you are. Help me understand that, Jesus, you are God. You always were God. You always will be God. You are the great I am. In, the, in this message, hark, listen up, the, this title is given to Jesus. And we say it a lot. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me unpack that just a little bit to understand the reason why we would need to approach this understanding. Uh, for unto us is born a Savior. What does our Savior represent? Represents his purpose. Jesus came to save us. His only reason for becoming flesh was to save you and me. By grace, we have been saved. And so we see his purpose right there in that title. But then also he says the Savior, which is Christ. What is Christ? Christ is the promise. Christ is the promise. The title of Christ is the promised one. He is the promised one. Our Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. And the Lord is God's position. God's position. He is master. He is owner. He is in authority over us. He is our Lord. In the coming weeks as we celebrate, I want you to reflect back on today and always put Jesus being God first. When you see the nativity scene, the one like I've got in my yard, just a cut out on plywood, rather than seeing a sweet baby, would you recognize the Lord? Would you recognize Jesus as fully God? When you see the, the star above the nativity scene, would you be reminded of the shepherds where his arrival announcement was given and how, how they were just in amazement? Would you see the fullness of God and celebrate him this season? Don't lessen him to a baby. Be amazed that he was a baby. If you're a Christ follower in here, then that is my encouragement for you. If, if you're not yet a Christ follower, I would encourage you to seek out who Christ is, and I hope that you'll see from today that Jesus is God, and the fact that he became flesh for you and for me is no less than astounding. And I hope you haven't lessened him in your life, because he wants to save you, he wants to be your Lord, and he's given you a promise. He is there for you.
In a moment, we're going to have our prayer partners come forward, and we're going to have a time of prayer. And, and as we do that, if, if you've never accepted, would you come talk to one of these prayer partners? Would you come and just share with them, hey, I'd like to know what it means to be a Christ follower. What does it mean to follow Christ? Come and tell these, these folks that and just let them walk you through it. We won't force you into anything. We just want to have a discussion with you. If you're uncomfortable coming forward, I'll be in the hospitality room after this service. That's on the bottom floor on the left-hand side. I'd love to meet our guest as well. But just to have that discussion of what it means to become a Christ follower. And then just uh, if you need prayers for healing, if you need prayers for other things going in life, Please come forward. Let us pray with you. And I would love to pray over you uh, today as well as our prayer partners. Let's all stand. And prayer partners, would you come forward? And then just as we close out the service, let's be in a spirit of prayer as we, uh, as we reflect on Jesus as fully God.